is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 552, recorded on Tuesday, October the 5th, 2021. Yep, it's a Tuesday. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, We changed back to the Monday schedule, and here we are on a Tuesday. To be fair, the podcast schedule has been a little wacky lately with your recent injury, um, and uh, there is a good reason for this change to Tuesday which I won't get into now, but we'll probably do an after hours in the coming, well, very soon, not tonight, but maybe, uh, maybe on the next show. We'll see. Maybe on Thursday. Yeah. We'll do that on Thursday. Go over that. But, uh, for now, hooray, new podcast. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Well, I also want to touch on a tiny bit of housekeeping before we jump into the episode. And that is just to mention that I've been having some trouble with the podcast RSS feed. In the last few weeks, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but it uh, tends to mean that when I do put out a new episode, sometimes it takes a while for it to show up in your podcast listening program, which annoys me to no end. I don't know if your average person out there even really notices, but uh, I find it super annoying and a giant pain, and I've been working on it trying to fix it. But... I don't want to do anything too crazy right now at risk of breaking the whole thing and making it worse because I would hate it if suddenly like nobody could download our episodes. I I think that would be bad. So um, what this means is that I'm going to try to leave everything alone for the next few weeks until well, next couple of weeks until we're done with the uh, season 11 a of the main show and then screw around with it a little bit. But I wanted to mention it now. So like two weeks from now, if you happen to notice that there's no new podcast when there should be, uh, well, that might mean I broke it and I'm aware and I'm working on it, but feel free to tweet us about it. I don't mind being uh, badgered a little bit if it stops working. (laughs) Twitted? What's the past tense of being tweeted at? Twitted? Probably just, well, past tense. I mean... (laughs) tweeted i don't know tweeted yeah but when you tweeted that means you tweeted but when you tweet at somebody what do you i don't know how to conjugate this verb you tweet at them that's what you do you tweet at them okay Uh, so you tweeted tweeted it at them it's something like that yeah (laughs) i'm just saying i hope i don't break it it i will say really quickly it I think it, it comes down to a problem with a service called FeedBurner, which is a service that Google offers, but they abandoned like 10 years ago and it hasn't changed in 10 years. And there's always been the risk that uh, they're going to just shut it down or it's going to disappear one day, which it hasn't. But it it seems to be kind of shitting the bed recently. And so... That's what the problem is. So if anybody out there who's not a podcast and has used FeedBurner and has moved their feed away from it successfully, I would love to hear from you because I have some questions and maybe you can offer some tips. So just throwing that out there if anyone has any experience removing FeedBurner from their podcast feed might be helpful. Well, it's RSS. I mean, that's pretty much dead anyway, except for podcasts, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I still I still use RSS for alerts and things like that, but maybe I'm just a no, dinosaur at this that's point. That's not true. You don't use RSS. 
I do. I actually have an RSS reader on my phone that tells me, that gives me alerts, well, that uh, um, accumulates Google alerts about The Walking Dead, so I never miss news and stuff like that, rarely, anyways. Nice. It's crazy, I know. Anyhow, uh, that is enough of that. Let us move on. We are here to talk about Season 11, Episode 7 of The Walking Dead and Jason. Are you ready for some title reads? I'm super ready. All right. I've never been more ready, Chris. Well, buckle in, because here come some title reads for this episode. This week, on The Talking Dead, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 7, Promises Broken. Promises broken? Or is it broken promises? Promises broken. Promises broken. I promise not to send you a long and winding, rambling email this week. I promise not to be overcritical of this week's episode of The Walking Dead. And I promise to put the toilet seat down before flushing. Because if you haven't guessed already, these are examples of promises broken. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jonathan in Sydney, Australia, James in Ireland, Jeff in Detroit, Sir Wumpy Flump, and finally, Tallahassee's twin brother. Uh, that is, you know, a voice that is a rarity on this show. We hear Tallahassee's writing styles all the time, but to hear his voice, it's a special occasion. It is special. Very enjoyable. All right. Well, thanks for all those title reads. Those were great. Uh, so let's jump into the episode. Episode number seven. We start in the woods. Uh, with Maggie and her crew. They are on their way back to Meridian, and Negan once again questions her about what the hell they are doing. You know, why are they still on this suicide mission? Uh, he even appeals to Father Gabe, but Gabe agrees with Maggie and says, we can't just go back with no food for our starving friends. Yeah, and he refers to Father Gabe as the goddamn priest. <laughs> which I yeah. thought was funny. <laughs> Here in front of the goddamn priest, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Negan after all. It is. Uh, he says they're marching to their death, Negan does, and he attempts to make a deal with Maggie. So he says, you know, I'll go with you, but if I do, then we're even. No more looking over my shoulder all the time. And Maggie questions whether Negan would even accept promise for her you know does he respect and trust her enough to expect a uh, accept a promise from her i mean and he says that they are both people of their words so they shake hands and make an agreement but as they do i noticed negan gives this like sly little smile so i don't know if that means he's got something up his sleeve or he feels like he's entering into an agreement that gives him the advantage or something like that, or if he's just genuinely happy that uh, he feels like Maggie's going to make good on her word here. But I noticed the smile, and it felt very Negan to me. I think he's just happy. I don't think there's any subterfuge or guile left in the man. Yeah. I'm kidding, of course. He's, he's a bastard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't catch the smile, but I don't think anything of it at the moment. All right. Well, I, it, I thought it was there, but uh, it could just be Negan. It could just be Jeffrey D. Morgan. Like he, I feel like he does stuff like that. You know, that's, that's how we got too, weird Negan off the beginning. He's just too charming for his own good. He's too charming. He can't not be charming. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why you don't want to date actors, because they can't stop acting. <laughs> that's right. Uh, anyways, they've made this agreement. I think it's interesting, and um, we'll see what happens. Now, a bunch of walkers start appearing in the woods around them. Maggie kills one and says to Elijah that it was his sister's best friend, <laughs> which I think is funny. It reminds me of that scene in Spaceballs. It was your sister's uncle's cousin's best friend's former roommate or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, everybody's related somehow, right? Six degrees of separation. Yeah, I guess. But the point here is that um, these zombies are some of their people, some of their former people, right? That I right, guess yeah. they lost at uh, Meridian. So that was Elijah's sister's best friend. because, And then Elijah goes to kill another one, but Maggie stops him and asks, you know, do you think we can find more? Uh, more zombies, that is. Yeah. And then the camera zooms into one of the zombies' eyes and goes to the opening credits, which I thought was a really good transition into the credits. It's something we don't often see. Usually it's just like a cut to credits, you know? Yeah. No, it was pretty good. I really liked that one. It was cool. So we come back from the opening credits and we are with Stephanie and Eugene. They're fighting walkers in a building. They kill a few and we find out it that they are out there clearing the building as part of their punishment. So they stop to talk. Eugene wonders whether Lance Hornsby can actually help them. And she says he can and that they can trust him. Mm -hmm. And the longer this relationship goes between Eugene and Stephanie, um, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's, you know, there's, there's speculation out there that this is, this is a ruse and this is not the real Stephanie, but I don't know. I can't get a read on what this Stephanie is doing because she seems really genuine in, in helping them and, and working with them and doing stuff like this, you know? Yeah. It's a bit odd. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit odd that she is, you know, so deeply ingrained in, uh, Eugene's shit, uh, that she hasn't really made herself known yet. So it's, I've, I'm not sure what to make of this either. Yeah. And I'm actually starting to really like the character. That's the thing, right? Like if she turns out to be not nice or friendly or have it in for them or whatever, I'm going to be disappointed because as it stands right now, I'm in, I'm enjoying her. I'm, I've, I've grown to like her and I kind of want her to stick around and I, I want her to be the real Stephanie, frankly. I, I feel like she and Eugene kind of work well together and if he's in love with her and and, and she feels the same way, I'd almost like to see them get together. I don't know. It's, it's weird what the show is doing to me here. It's a little weird. Let's see what happens. Hopefully you were, uh, you know, we're buying into this and it'll pay off. Well, that's what I hope. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to buy into something, I want the, uh, I want the payoff. It'll be, it'll be disappointing if it sort of nothing comes of it. Yep. Anyways, we see Princess and Ezekiel, they're doing the same thing, uh, clearing buildings and he's struggling because of his... Uh, thyroid cancer. So they come outside, he starts coughing, but he claims it's just dusty and he's okay. But they meet up with Eugene and Stephanie and Princess asks if she can get, if Stephanie can get Ezekiel to a hospital. Um, but his concern, Ezekiel, is that he doesn't want anything they do for him to become another debt that they have to work off. And in one of my favorite princess scenes now, she says that she's not afraid of hard work, but that she is definitely anti-friends who die of stubbornness. 
<laughs> and yeah. I, I don't know why. I just really like that. I, again, you know, it took me a little while to warm up to Princess. And now here we are. I'm really enjoying her character, too. I love how, I just love how dedicated she is to these people that she's kind of just met, you know? Yeah, she's all in. Like, there's no, uh, what I said about Negan, uh, there's no guile left. Princess doesn't have any guile. She's just princess. Uh, she wears her heart on, a sl- on her sleeve. Yep. She uh, is incredibly above board and transparent. Uh, there's 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 nothing there to hide. She doesn't hide anything. It's 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 great to see. Yeah, she's totally. It's rare. It's rare. In this show. And she's totally, she's totally genuine, you know? She says what she means and she means what she says. And uh Yes, I am actually really starting to like her as well. And it's it's so interesting because like it's all because she is because of those things about her personality, right? Like we we love the characters that we've known and we've we've been watching for a long time and because she comes along and seems to love them as well, it kind of like makes and endears me to her a little bit, which I think is really awesome. Yep. And she looks fantastic in a set of overalls. I'm just going to say that right now. Most people do. Yeah. Overalls are, uh, <laughs> they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And the I go- do not currently own a set of overalls, but I'm thinking of rectifying that. All right. That's a great idea. Or coveralls. She was wearing coveralls. Forgive me. Yes. Also overalls are, uh, are quite awesome. All right. Well, she looks good in the coveralls. Uh, you have the video in front of you, right? She's got these awesome goggles on her head too, right? Yeah, they're uh, she's got they're pretty cool. They're, they're they're I like goggles like that because it has an angle on them, like they're not uh, curved at all. Yeah, they're straight and then a a corner and straight on the side. They're very old school. I love it. Old school goggles. Yeah, I think I just thought the costume was really great, uh, and you know appropriate for what they were doing, clearing zombies. They yeah. they don't want to get too many too much guts on them, so they wear these coveralls. And sometimes you might need goggles. Keep the goop out of your eyes, man. Do you think, uh, do you think Amazon sells overalls? Cause I've got an idea for a Halloween costume. Totally. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Just overalls and no shirt. That's my costume. <laughs> what are you going as specifically? A guy in overalls with no shirt. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I was, I was like, you know, okay. Overalls, coveralls. You could go as a ghostbuster. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. But your well, idea is good you're, too. You're thinking coveralls again. Oh my I'm God. I'm saying overalls. All right. Fine. <laughs> fine. Um, Oh my God. Way back on Herschel's farm. Uh, oh, I can't even remember his name now. He, who died, he, he was wearing overalls, right? Uh, oh yeah. Um, oh my God. Name. I don't recall. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Overalls versus coveralls. I'll try not to make that mistake anymore. Yeah. We, what you need to do is buy both and then wear each one for a week and then you'll know the difference. Okay. Very good. Anyways, before this scene ends, they watch Mercer and a soldier or two escort a young, fancy-dressed couple down a path nearby them, and Eugene questions, who the hell was that? (laughs) Yeah, a fancy boy and a fancy girl. That's true. We will find out more about them later, but they're being escorted by Mercer, so they must be important. We cut over to Yumiko, who is at a table in a fancy room lined with rich mahogany. I actually don't know that for sure, but it, you know, that's, that's what I say anytime I see, uh, wood on the walls like that. And it reminds me yeah. of, um, 
Anchorman, Anchorman, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and, and many leather-bound books. That's right. Exactly. That's that's right. So that's the kind of room they're in. She is chatting with a guy who says that Ms. Milton is impressed with her credentials and they'll find a position for her. But Yumiko wants to see her friends and the guy uh, explains to her what they're doing, you know, clearing zombies. She, Yumiko, asks to see Miss Milton right away. He resists, saying that Hornsby's timing expectations are different, which I thought was a little weird. But she questions if he's his supervisor. He's not, apparently, and then insists more forcibly, but still politely. And I mean that, but I mean, Yumiko insists that she wants to see Milton, you know, right now. Yeah, she lured the shit out of him, is what she did. Yeah, that's what she does. I mean, she's clearly very good at lawyering people. You know, yep. that's her thing. All right. So that's that. We move over to Daryl. He's standing around, lights a cigarette and sees a Reaper come out of their food storage building. The guy locks it up. Daryl offers to help uh, and then offers a smoke and the guy accepts and they're standing around and they hear somebody at their gate and realize that a patrol has come home. So yeah. That's it for those guys for now. I saw, I saw a leak in the, uh, the storage unit. The uh, the food storage. What do you mean a leak? Oh, a leak. Like the leak. There was a leak in the storage unit. <laughs> okay. I saw it. That's that's great. The joke works better <laughs> when it's all in a boat. But what are you gonna yeah, do? Yeah, there's a leak in the boat. That was from uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. Correct. <laughs> um, I enjoyed both the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies. As did I, and I've seen them many times. I'm in sure. Recent past. I'm sure you have. Yeah. No, those are fun movies. Uh, all right, well, we move back over into the forest with Maggie and the gang. They have now tied a bunch of walkers to trees and um, and buried the one that was Elijah's sister's best friend, I guess. They uh, are standing around this grave. Maggie says to him that they'll find the murderers, and Elijah says, the one who did this, he's mine. So he's out for some revenge, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems. And I assume he knows who did this, or is he talking about Pope? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know how he would know which one specifically killed her, um, but maybe he does somehow, or he's going to be the guy that kills Pope next week, if somebody kills Pope next week. I really don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say at this point. So we uh, he could kill anybody, and we would be, uh, you know, have to assume that uh, he enacted his revenge. I guess so, yeah. I mean, unless they dig into it a little bit deeper, but I feel like Elijah's going to kill somebody, and uh, who knows if it'll make him feel better. We don't know. Eh, I find that killing people rarely makes me feel better. Rarely, yes. (laughs) Almost (laughs) never, in fact. Almost never. Yeah. So Maggie sends Father Gabe on a scouting mission, and she instructs him to kill Reapers if they're alone and he has an advantage. But otherwise, I guess his mission is just to go and surveil the location to make sure they're still there and just keep an eye on on things, I suppose. That's really what we see later on, but that's it. Keep an eye on things. Get it? Get it? They sent the one-eyed man out to do the scouting. (laughs) Well, it's not like he's... I mean, he can still see, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It's an eye, not his eyes. Yeah, he's going to keep an eye on things. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Clever. Uh, Maggie and Negan then talk about creating Whisperer masks, and he says, well, we don't need to make one for me because I still have mine for practical and sentimental reasons. <laughs> so pretty much everybody in this uh, season of this this show has a mask of some sort. 
right? Okay, yeah. So all the Reapers have masks and Negan has a Whisperer mask. And Elijah, I assume, still has his mask. Yeah, he hasn't worn it in a little while, but he was a mask wearer. Well, nobody's worn a mask in a little while. Good like, point. To be fair, the amount of masks that are that people have, uh, there's very few of them being worn. It's almost a fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it's true. A lot of people are carrying around masks, but we're about to get some more. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the case. But they talk about creating Whisperer masks. And before we see anything more of that, we go back to the Reapers and the patrol that we heard about a minute ago has come through the gate. They report to Pope that they haven't found anything. He typically, or as he is known to do, gets pissed off and starts yelling about how they haven't found any trace of these people. So Leah steps in to defend them, asking Pope to scream at her instead. And then he says to take your boy, meaning Daryl, and go and find the goddamn enemies. There you go. Yeah. I, the only thing about this is I started kind of feeling the same way Daryl does in a minute about uh, why is he so worried about it? Like, you know, why are these people his enemies, first of all? I mean, I guess they drove them out of here, but still, like, the guy needs to relax a little bit, but I guess that's not his, uh, his style. Well, it's, uh, you know, any leader that is trying to lead by fear and uh, anger, which is what he's doing, uh, you have to have an enemy. Yeah. It, you know, without the enemy, uh, they don't, they aren't anything. They just, there's this bunch of guys, you know, it's, it's like the Joker in uh, the dark Knight. Uh, you know, when he says, kill you, what would I do without you? Right. So when he says that to Batman, so, which is a fucking brilliant line, uh, delivered amazingly. Anyway, uh, it, it illustrates the point here that you have to have, uh, an opposition in order to be a leader of a military unit, you have to have an enemy. So anybody out there is your enemy and you have to uh, paint them as such, or you're going to lose control over, uh, over your group. Yeah, I suppose, I, I guess that makes sense. He needs the, uh, he, he needs that to sort of hold over his people. This is why we're doing this, because they're a threat, right? If there was no threat, everything would just be too comfortable for everybody, I guess. Yeah, it'd just be just people that live here in this place. Yeah, in peace nope. and harmony. Like, who wants that? Yeah, they're all happy soldiers uh, doing happy things in a happy place. Right, sounds terrible. Can't have that. No, God. <laughs> Uh, anyways, after a commercial break, we are with Daryl and Leah out now walking along a riverbank. They're talking about this very thing, how Meridian is a good place. Daryl questions why they keep hunting these people considering they got the walls, they have the food, you know, they've taken over the place. Um, but Leah claims they have a structure and a community pr to protect. Um, and she also sort of implies that Pope is doing this just because it's a mystery, not being able to find them. So it's all sort of related uh, to what we were talking about, but she kind of frames it differently, I think, where this is our community and our structure and we have to protect it, which is different than, than I think how Pope views it in that, you know, they're the enemy. They don't, to protect a place, you have to be diligent and so on and careful, but you don't necessarily have to specify who the enemy is. You just have to protect it from various threats, right? Pope is a little more literal. These people are the enemy. Let's go yeah. kill them, right? Um, and then finally, at the end of the conversation, 
She says that Pope is the one who made her strong, but Daryl thinks she never needed anybody to do that. Yep. She's been strong from the beginning. Yeah. So back with Maggie, she is wearing a very poorly fitted whisperer mask. We get the view from inside and she can't really see anything or where she's going, but she's walking around and Negan is giving her instructions on moving like a walker and hurting them. So he's training her on the whisperer's way. Mm-hmm. But she's having trouble because the mask fits so poorly. She trips over a rock and they have to grab a walker before it gets her because it kind of gets alerted to the fact that maybe she's not a zombie. Negan says he'll fix the mask and they'll try again, but he also says to her that she did really well. Is that because zombies don't trip? Uh, they trip all the time. Jason, I don't know. I, I just... I'm not sure why her sort of stumbling over that rock alerted the zombie, but it did. Yeah. Oh, I would think that zombies, uh, with the fact that they probably can't see very well, uh, aren't really paying attention to where they're going uh, and shuffle along, Yeah. maybe even shamble. Uh, I think they would trip over shit all the fucking time. I so sort of I agree. Think, uh, I think the tripping is zombie-like behavior, in my opinion, but what do I know? Yeah, what do we know? Uh, they needed a way that she didn't fall down. Yeah, right. If a zombie did that, he probably would go, you know, face first into whatever's in front of him. Uh, whereas Maggie corrected herself so she wouldn't fall. Maybe that was the thing. Maybe I I don't know. I mean, does the, does the zombie have enough logic and reason to put that together? Right? Oh, that one tripped over a rock but didn't fall. Every other zombie I've seen, when it trips over a rock, it falls down. Therefore. That must not be a zombie. I, it, I, I got to write this down on my clipboard. Make yeah. sure that uh, it doesn't happen again. I will make maybe a it's note. The, <laughs> I will make a note. Uh, and the third time they do that, then maybe maybe it's the third time she tripped and he had been making notes in his clipboard and uh, has reasoned that the third tripping without falling is reason enough to, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that this is not a zombie, so he should go after him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sometimes I sometimes I hate that we think about things like this, but on the other hand, I also love that we think about things like this, right? Like, here's a situation where the show needs to come up with a way for a zombie to initially uh, not attack somebody, but then attack them. So that's a, like, writing problem to solve, right? How do we do that? How do we make someone who's acting like a zombie, which is established in the in this world that you know zombies will will be fooled by that um so how do we have someone that's doing that that then suddenly uh isn't doing it right or something like that and they came up with tripping over a rock is that good enough i don't know why couldn't they just have her swear you know trip over a rock and go shit yeah and the zombie's like okay well zombies don't say shit yeah that's the thing, like make a noise, make a noise that is distinctly not zombie. I mean, we've, that seems to fit in with the, fit in with this world because zombies are attracted to sound, you know? So that seems like a very obvious uh, reason. Did, I don't know, did she make a noise? Maybe we're, we're talking out of our asses here and she did say something and that's what attracted it. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll just, uh, I've got the scene up. I'm going to roll it through and I'll, uh. I don't want us to wait. Yeah, yeah, but, of course. Uh, if uh, if it comes up, I'll I'll mention it. All right. Well, I mean that that would be a good solve in my opinion because the tripping I don't think quite does it. 
Anyhow, let's move on to Father Gabe, who is watching the Reapers through his binoculars. I guess he's there now. And he watches a guy in a, well, what I call a full-length trench hoodie, leave the gates and walk out to a small cemetery outside the gates of the compound. He appears to be some kind of religious person, similar to Father Gabe. And Gabe watches him from the forest pretty close. Uh, at one point, this guy seems to sense him, draws a knife, looks into the forest, but never really notices Father Gabe. And then Father Gabe draws his machete, but does not attack him. Which is exactly what you should do in this situation. So Father Gabe was absolutely right. Uh -huh. When somebody's looking right at you, don't move. Like, just stay put and be sure uh, that they can see you before you uh, do anything rash. Because uh, it's very hard to, t to find somebody who's not moving behind camouflage. It's very, very difficult. Right. You know, if you, uh, I think I watched, uh, it was either a YouTube documentary or what have you, but basically our brains as, uh, as hunters, uh, are geared to track movement and to find movement. And the reason we don't go fucking batshit crazy by looking at a bunch of trees that are swaying in the wind and start, you know, having our eyes flit around, uh, and confused and crazy is that, uh, we can, uh, ignore background noise, uh, you know, visual noise of anything moving in random directions. But if 3% of the, your visual field moves in the same direction, your, your brain automatically starts to track it. Hmm. Okay. So if you do not move a friggin' muscle, it's very difficult to, to track that because our brains are geared towards movement, finding, uh, you know, uh, you know, hunting a rabbit, you know, or a deer or an elephant or a muskox or a fucking mammoth. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. But, uh, Father Gabe did the exact right thing. Don't friggin' move. Right. Don't move unless you intend to attack the guy. And if you intend to attack the guy, make sure you are going to deliver a kill shot because... If you don't, then you have to wrestle with him or fight him or whatever. He's going to make noise and alert everybody else. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I know this is because I've made this very mistake. When I was uh, in basic training for the uh, the reserves, uh, we had uh, a test. Basically, we had to cross a field that was a goddamn kilometer long. It was a long friggin' field uh, without being detected. So we put on the camouflage makeup and we tried to move from point to point, to try and get to where the flag was. And we're supposed to touch the flagpole without anybody seeing us, uh, get there. And I was in a bush and somebody was coming by and I thought they saw me and I fucking bolted and they didn't see me until I bolted. Right. So I made this very mistake. So I was very impressed with, uh, with father Gabe. In, uh, in this moment. Well, maybe Father Gabe has learned the hard way, right? He's through, uh, after numerous times of running away and being detected, he's finally decided, maybe if I just sit here, they won't see me. Yeah. yeah. It's one more step towards the plateau of Father Gabe being my favorite character. Oh, good. He did the right thing here. It's, uh, I, was, I was very happy with him. And, and it applies to Tyrannosaurus Rexes as well, right? Like that's, that's what we all learned. If you don't move, it can't see you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure about that, but whatever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Come on, that's, Rexes. Jurassic Park is is uh, life it's documentary, canon, man. Yeah, I think okay. it's a documentary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> totally. They're they're only missing feathers, and the raptors were like uh, larger than chickens because raptors are about the size of chickens. 
Uh, but they, other than that, they just wouldn't feel that threatening if they were only the size of chickens. I don't, chickens don't frighten me, but giant raptor aggressive dinosaurs do. You're out of your goddamn mind if chickens don't frighten you. Well, <laughs> I find them a little unpredictable, but they don't frighten me like Canada geese frighten me. Those things are mean. Oh, no, yeah, geese, you just, you, they don't frighten me because I don't go anywhere near well, them. Yeah, stay for away. any reason whatsoever, unless I have a fucking minigun. If I had a minigun, I might go towards a flock of geese, but that's about it. Friggin' Canada geese would kill you, man. Don't get near those suckers. Yeah. Uh, alrighty. Um, that's our discussion about scary chickens and birds for the evening. Uh, let's move on. We go back into the Commonwealth and Yumiko is entering the train station with her brother, Tommy. She continues to question why he's not working as a doctor and stuff like that. He claims that he never liked the high pressure and fast paced life they had before, but he reiterates that nobody here can know he was a doctor. And he seems really serious about this, even more so than before, I thought. So she agrees. Then she mentions that she has a meeting with Milton and says somebody like him, and he says that somebody like him would never meet Ms. Milton because, quote, you have to know your place, is what he says. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a bunch of soldiers show up, grab Tommy, and take him away. And as they're taking him away, we hear on the loudspeaker, that's the Commonwealth way, which, to be fair, isn't the only time it was on the loudspeaker in the in the community. Like, it's sort of playing, it sounds like it's playing on a loop, you know, the Commonwealth yeah. creed or whatever. Um, but they finished the scene with that's the Commonwealth way, you know, I think to, um, hint or imply to the audience that taking him away like that for whatever the reason is, which we don't really know yet is kind of the Commonwealth way. And I think that Tommy generally, Jason is our biggest clue so far that things at the Commonwealth aren't really quite as they seem. Right. Well, it's the it's the information on the loudspeaker that really clued me in. It's like join the army, uh, yeah. enlist today. It uh, it is very you know Orwellian nineteen eighty four, all uh, uh, Starship Troopers kind of thing. Yeah, it's all it just it was it's just it's too much, and I think it's too obvious to anybody who's ever watched a movie or read a book in the last fifty years. Uh, is very well aware of, uh, you know, George Orwell, 1984, Animal Farm kind of stuff. Hey, we're all equal, except for, you know, some of us are a little more equal than the other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and you know, at the end of, <laughs> my favorite thing about the end of uh, both 1984 and uh, Animal Farm is 1984, uh, the protagonist loved Big Brother. He loved, they, he fell in love with them. He was absolutely on board. He was brainwashed. He was done. Yep. And at the end of uh, uh, Animal Farm, the pigs moved into the house, Yep. Uh, the farmer's house, and they couldn't tell the difference between the humans and the pigs. That's, that's such a, that's such a great um, scene. Scene's not the right word, but it's just such a great way to finish that book. You know, a great line yeah. to, to end that book on kind of, or concepts. Yes. Sorry, spoiler alert for Animal Farm. You should go read Animal Farm. Oh, you should read both of those books. I've read both of them at least, well, twice. And there aren't too many books I've read more than once. Uh, but those are two. Catcher in the Rye I've read a couple of times. And Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I've probably read five times. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say there is like just having these scenes with Tommy, like I find it extremely suspicious that... He is so intent 
on them not knowing that he was a doctor, you know, like I figure why not? If I, if he doesn't want to be a doctor, that's one thing, but I feel like there's something more to that decision for him. And I don't know what it is exactly unless he's been watching the walking dead and he knows that doctors always get killed, but it probably isn't that. So it's, it just feels like it's got to be more than he just doesn't want to be one. There's something there that makes it not uh, a good job being a doctor. I don't know. And then his line about you have to know your place makes me wonder, well, what happens to people who don't know their place? What happens to people who speak out or act up or something like that, right? Against the authorities. I just feel like all of these things are going to become clear, but for now it's just kind of... Tommy is telling us these things without telling us these things, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And I'm, I'm curious about what's truly going on. So after a commercial break, we are back with Maggie. She is now wearing a properly fitted mask. So I guess Negan fixed it for her. She's herding some zombies into a pen, which is just really some roped off trees. Negan is watching, impressed that she's getting it right. And then kind of off to the side, Maggie and Elijah chat. He asks if Negan has changed. She says she doesn't know, but he is being helpful for now. And she kind of wonders whether she can even keep the promise he made to her, right? Uh, Or she made to him, I mean, where they're supposed to, if he does this, get along. Um, Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get that this would be a difficult thing for her. I agree. Back with Yumiko, she finds Lance Hornsby out for a walk and wants to know where her brother is because, of of course, he was taken away. He says that he'll be home tonight. That's just how much time he needs with him in a couple couple more hours. Uh, He says that he's just trying to help her friends go free, and it is a big ask to do that, but he can deliver... And we find out that the reason he is doing all of these things, at least according to him, is that because he thinks Yumiko will be a friend in high places and he might need a favor at some point. So she's a good person to know. It's pretty uh, above board to say shit like that. I mean, lots of people do stuff like that, but they don't tell them about it. Yeah, to come out and say, you're going to be in a position of power, so I'm helping you now so that you might help me later. Like, number one, you're right. People don't say that to others. But also, that's just like basically saying out in the open, you know, even I don't 100% respect the authorities here. And if I ever need help, I'm going to need someone like you to help me, right? It's almost an admission of things aren't as they seem around here. Yeah. And it's uh, He's also saying that he's a professional ass kisser. And that he will kiss her ass uh, at the first opportunity. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm a professional ass kisser. It's what I do. But you know what? I sort of felt like that about him anyways. Just he, his personality, well, the little yeah. we know about it, comes off like that, I think. These people are very obvious. And it's really, it's kind of driving me crazy that uh, nobody can see this, uh, you know, immediately. Like it's, they've got fucking different colored foam armor for crying out loud. <laughs> They've got this uh, Orwellian uh, fucking society that has an intro tape that is rah, rah, rah. And then over the loudspeaker, it's uh, playing propaganda stuff. And there's propaganda shit on the walls. And it's just, it's, it's too much. It's, it's too obvious. It, 
yeah, it's driving me crazy. Yeah, a little bit. It it seems kind of obvious. I mean, the the rah 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 um, introduction tape. I mean, that's propaganda in and of itself, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 all. It's all a little too obvious propaganda. It's not even subtle. It's not at least at least Pope is he's not subtle, but it's a different. It's a, in a different way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's everything here. Everything in this episode seems really ham-fisted to me. Like uh, the Commonwealth seems, uh, you know, it's it's colored with broad strokes and it's not really subtle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's the storytelling or whether it's the Commonwealth itself. Uh, but if it was the Commonwealth itself, these highly intelligent protagonists of ours would see right through this shit so easily. I feel like you're right about that, right? Whereas what the opposite is kind of happening, like Yumiko, she's being forceful, but she's, she's really, um, like she's really trying to work within the system and, and maybe that's the way you get things done here, right? Maybe that's on purpose as well. But even the rest of them, like Ezekiel, you know, he he comes back from the the hospital at one point, and uh, that's coming up in a second, and he seems to be like a hundred percent on board. You know, he's like, they treated me so well, everything's great. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're questioning it too much at all, which again maybe is part of the plan, so they can try to fit in. You know? Yeah, I don't know. And if we may, since we're talking about Yumiko and. Uh, plaid jacket guy, I forget his name at the moment. Hornsby. Uh, Hornsby. Uh, they're in the same place where our intrepid heroes are clearing out zombies. Yeah, it did right? feel like they were suddenly like outside, just sort of in the middle of nowhere. Like it almost would have made more sense if that conversation happened in the town square where everything seems to happen. Well, I have, an, I have, it's going to come up a little bit later, but I have questions about where this is compared to, you know, everybody seems to be con- congregating in this one area outside the wire, outside of the Commonwealth, because they need to clear this for future development. So this is not a secure location. So my first question, and we'll get to that in a little bit later, but my first question is these buildings. These buildings have uh, no windows, no doors. Like they're not broken doors and broken windows. All the windows and the window frames and all the doors and all the door frames have all been removed from these buildings. They are not there. Why? And so that makes me think that this is either uh, a, a set of buildings that are either that were under construction, right, or were being in the in the process of being torn down before the zombie apocalypse because somebody took out all those windows, yeah, uh, and doors and stuff. But there are zombies in this place. So why are there zombies here exactly? Uh, I mean, if this was either being constructed or being torn down, nobody was living here. None of the buildings have furniture in them. So where did the zombies all come from? Well, I mean, if it's outside some kind of secure Commonwealth area, then the zombies might have just wandered in, right? And they're clearing them out to make that area secure. Um, But then why would... Hornsby and Yumiko just be hanging around out there. Why would they just be walking around out there for, for no reason? Right. So I, I'm wondering yeah. if it is actually the same area. Like, do we know that? For, I know it looks like it. Well, I thought the same thing. We've got fancy boy and fancy girl, and that's going to come up a little bit later. Why the fuck they're in this area too? Yeah. Because they're on a date, but we'll get to that. We'll, yeah. we'll get there. I'm going to not try and get too far ahead of myself, but I noticed that this area, 
that they seem to be shooting this particular episode. There's some incongruity here. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why are they out here? Uh, why are they clearing it? Is it possible that they load up? It's like one of those, uh, lakes that they load up with fish so that people can go sport fishing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, they purposefully load this place up with zombies so that they can train people to clear out zombies or it's make work. Like you have to prove yourself by clearing out this area that we restock with zombies every spring. Well, uh, I don't kind know. Of things. It, it's all very confusing. It doesn't, uh, make a lot of logical sense to me. I, see, I think it can be, I think the problem for me is that it seems like, I, I don't think we have a good feeling for the geography of the Commonwealth yet. And maybe we never will because it's this 50,000 person community, right? But like to me, as I said, and as you said, the it felt like Hornsby and Yumiko were meeting in the same basic place as they were clearing the zombies, which why would they do that? I don't know. Stay inside the safe area, whatever. But see, maybe it's not. Maybe the show has just done a bad job of informing us kind of where things are and and where how everything fits together. Maybe they are inside some safe area, but then why is there no one else around? And, you know, these are the questions that I have. I think it's just not clear to us yet how this place is kind of laid out and how it works. And it feels like they're in the same area and that makes no sense. The sad thing to me is I think that the production team has found a location that they decided to shoot everything Commonwealthian uh, in this episode. So yeah. they just kind of like, we've got this location. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Let's just use it for everything we can. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. And that makes me sad. Yeah. I, I had heard that the Commonwealth is mostly a set that's built in the same location as the sanctuary where Negan and his saviors used to live, which we thought was like a big factory kind of thing. Yeah. I had heard they built the Commonwealth set there. And, but that I think like means, you know, that train station and the sort of central square area with all the shops and stuff like that. The place where Yumiko and Hornsby were, I, it doesn't, make me feel like that's in the same place. So that could be an actual different location, like a real different location or somewhere outside of whatever they've built at the old uh, sanctuary. I don't know, but they just don't fit together very well for me yet. And maybe they will in the future, but for now it sort of adds to the confusion or the questions rather than fit seamlessly into the show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just have to get past that for now, I think, and deal with it. But uh, who knows? Maybe it'll change later if the show shifts into mostly Commonwealth stuff. I don't know. For now, though, we go back to Daryl and Leah. They are on patrol. They notice a house off in the bush a little bit, and they find a guy hiding in the bushes. He's really afraid and desperate, says his family, uh, he has a family that needs him, he doesn't seem to know anything about the Reapers, you know, no idea that this is their territory or anything like that. He agrees to take them to his family. And just before they go, Leah radios Pope, who says to kill him and his family, just kill them all. Yeah. Just in case these are our enemies, <laughs> kill them. Yeah. When in doubt, kill them all. Pretty much. Yeah. So back to Negan and Maggie, they are now sitting around a fire with the walkers in the pen nearby that they've been collecting. And they have a conversation here that I think is probably the best scene 
in this episode. Yes. And the reason it is the best scene in this episode is because of two things, in my opinion, the writing and the actors that are involved, because these are two good actors and they do really good work with this material. And I almost don't want to recap it because there's no way I can really do it justice, but I'm going to try anyways, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. Good job. So Negan is talking about knowing what it's like to lose a community that you are the leader of. And Maggie is trying to say that her community and Negan's community were very, very different, citing the fact that Alexandria has children and families and stuff like that. But Negan counters that with the idea that the people that lived at the sanctuary had friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that. And she, he kind of throws Aaron uh, and Gracie in Maggie's face because Gracie was a child of a savior and Rick killed her father and yep. stole the baby. <laughs> right. And he makes a very good point there. And then it comes to a point where Maggie asks if Negan would have done things differently if he could have done it all over again. Uh, fishing for some regret, right? Fishing for yeah. some regret or an apology. And instead, Negan says, yes, if I could do it all over again, I'd have killed every single one of you. <laughs> like, I don't want to laugh, you know, saying that because it is a horribly shocking line. And Maggie reacts horribly shocked and questions why he'd say that to her. And he says, it's the truth. And if this is going to work between you and me, we have to be honest with each other. Um, and you asked. And well, yeah, that's right. I guess you asked, you know. Uh, and then he reminds her that what they're about to do is the same thing. It is protecting their people. And what they are about to do is gather a herd of walkers, lead them to Meridian and use them to kill the Reapers or take over the place, basically. Or at the very least, render it unlivable because there's too many walkers there. And Which is exactly what the uh, what the whispers did to uh, Hilltop. Exactly. It's it's. I mean, everybody has done all of these horrible things in in the interest of protecting their own people. And uh, man, it it really really opens your eyes to it. This whole scene, I thought. But I think the line Negan delivers about having killed every single one of you is. One of the best the shows has ever shows the show has ever done, and it was a good one. The fact that JDM does it and Lauren Cohen is there doing her best, I thought it was amazing. I loved, I loved the scene. Right, it surprised me. I didn't expect him to say that. I expected him to actually show that regret because this is Negan, and the show has gone a long way to try and make him sympathetic, but not anymore, or at least not in this scene. No, Negan's an opportunist, right? He uh, takes the opportunities that present themselves. And so when he had the opportunity to <laughs> cheat on his wife, he did. When he had the opportunity to uh, lead uh, an organization that was bent on uh, you know, exploiting other people for resources, yep. he did. Yep. Uh, when he had the, uh, then when it all fell to shit and he got put in prison, uh, he had the opportunity to get out of prison and he took it. And uh, so he's just, he's taking whatever opportunity uh, 
comes along in order to prolong his life and to safeguard what he, at the moment, holds precious. And right now, at the moment, what he feels holds precious is this group of people finding food for uh, Alexandria. This is his current cause. Uh, and that will switch on a dime uh, in, the, in the near future, I would assume. Well, wait a minute. I don't think his current cause is finding food for Alexandria. He's been arguing against that for like five episodes now. But his current cause is keeping himself uh, alive and satisfied, right? And his, it's in his best interest that he's made this deal with Maggie, you know, because he says, if I go along with you, you got to let me off the hook. And that's all about him. It's not about yeah, helping anybody else. True. But but you're right. Like he's he's very good at um, doing what helps himself the most. Uh, but God, yeah, I just I just love the scene. I thought it was amazing, and it was one of those moments. I, there are very few moments on The Walking Dead anymore that really shock and surprise me. And part of that is because maybe because I'm sort of used to the show, I sort of know the kind of things it does after all these years, but also because we've talked about this before, AMC is really bad these days at not revealing their big moments because they typically use the big moments to market the show, right? But this was a little moment that got me and became a really big one, in my opinion, for me. And I'm I'm really glad that there was no hint of this coming because I think it worked so well as a surprising moment in a otherwise kind of typical conversation. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it as well. So good. Best scene in the episode. Uh, After this, we go to Eugene Princess and Stephanie hauling some bodies. This is when Ezekiel comes back and he's in much better spirits and he brings lollipops. So great for him and everybody. He- They're more suckers than lollipops, right? There's not, is there a difference? The lollipop is flat and made of clear candy. The sucker is, uh, you know, this bulbous thing that uh, he brought back. Well, I did, I've never thought about the distinction, but if that's the case, then fine. These are suckers. That's just my distinction. I'm not going to try and paint the world with that, uh, that particular brush. It's just, that's the way I view suckers and lollipops. And I'm not a big fan of hard candy, so I don't uh, partake in either. I never have. Okay, well, he brings back the suckers for everyone, and they're quite excited about it. He was treated in the hospital. Uh, Hornsby comes up and says uh, they are going to go off on new assignments. So he sends Eugene and Stephanie to go do some more zombie clearing while um, Princesses and Ezekiel go off with him. We get a quick scene now of Father Gabe coming back from his scouting mission. Uh, We don't really get any new information here, just that Meridian is still there. I'm not sure where they thought it was going to go. And uh, he, he does lie to Maggie, though, in that he didn't run into any Reapers. So he doesn't tell her about um, Mr. Full-Length Trench Hoodie there. Uh, he just says, uh, he just leaves that out for some well, reason. Well, there's a couple of reasons, I think, that, that, uh, that he does that. Uh, one is he kind of, uh, he didn't follow Maggie's orders in that if you have the opportunity to take somebody out and you have the upper hand, yep. do it. She, he didn't do that. And the second thing was that this guy was obviously some kind of religious figure, whether yeah. he was a chaplain or a priest or what have you. True. He was out there talking to God, uh, sort of like a confession. 
right? So maybe Father Gabe is seeing it as a, uh, you know, a confession and therefore is sacrosanct. And am I using that word right? I don't know. It's not something that you could tell other people. You know, the, uh, okay. uh, you can't, you can't tell like the, the confessional is, is a sacred place where, uh, you can't be compelled to tell somebody what happened there yeah. or what they, what they told you. So maybe he's seeing it as a confession, uh, and therefore keeping it to himself. And you don't kill people during confession. I, I guess, I don't well, know. I don't know if that's a rule, but I've never really seen it. Uh, well, right. I have probably, but, uh, I'm not sure that that's particular, you know, there's thou shalt not murder. I mean, that's kind of a blanket thing, but I don't think there's anything specific about don't kill anybody in the confessional, All right. whether it's a priest or the person making the confession. I, I have a feeling. Forgive I, me father for I'm about to kill you in sin. <laughs> yeah. I do have a feeling I've seen that happen though on, in a movie or something, but, uh, anyways, I, I see what you're saying. I get it for sure. Um, but, uh. The other thing about Father Gabe, though, is he's recently said to that other Reaper, you know, God doesn't live here anymore or God isn't here anymore. So I guess God is in certain places, but not others. And it's all up to Father Gabe. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, God is in your heart. And uh, if if Father Gabe is feeling it at any particular moment, maybe he only feels it with other men of God. Yeah. Right. You know, (laughs) we get two men of God in the same area, the, the power of God compels you to uh to be more godly to feel Whereas it if, if it's just you and you're angry then you can you know renounce god and uh, uh you know commit murder without any issues well i i suppose <laughs> i don't know but uh either way he he omits this information from maggie um and we'll see if it comes back to bite him in the ass i don't know Back with Eugene and Stephanie, they get to the location where they're supposed to continue clearing zombies. And here we have the fancy couple out on their date. They're kind of out there making out. They don't notice that walkers are approaching. So Eugene springs into action. He runs over to kill the walkers. Stephanie helps. And then the fancy guy gives them a really hard time about interrupting their date. And the guy is just super rude to Eugene, who stands up for himself, as he should. Uh, And then Stephanie kills another walker approaching, but blood sprays all over the fancy girl, whose name is Kayla. I did have to look that up. And the dude keeps being rude, so Eugene punches him. Stephanie seems extremely concerned and apologetic about this. And the guy continues being an asshole, just as Mercer and Hornby show up. This dude claims that Eugene attacked him and he blames Mercer for not being around. And Hornby says to Eugene, don't you know who that is? So I, I, I have a problem. I hated this scene and everything about it. I hated the fact that it exists. I hated the, I hated the fact that it was obviously some kind of higher up and, uh, or the son of a higher up, which as it turns out to be exactly the case, yep. uh, you know, giving the, the, you know, the plebes a, a hard time because he was on a date outside the wire in a zombie infested, known zombie infested area because they sent these people out to clear the zombies from this area. So, uh, and don't you know who that is? It's the son of the blah, blah, blah. And why are you, uh, interrupting this date? And then Eugene, uh, being, you know, a very smart guy does not clue into any of this. This guy is acting extremely weirdly. 
for the situation that he's in. Obviously, he's got either some kind of delusion or there's something else going on here that I should probably be aware of before it goes too far. It was obvious to me. I'm sure it was obvious to you. It should have been obvious to Eugene. So I, again, this just reinforces the idea earlier that people would clue into this shit a lot sooner than they are cluing into this. I don't think Eugene is that clueless. He's pretty clueless. Well, yeah, he's pretty In clueless. In an absent-minded professor kind of way, but he should have clued into this and definitely doesn't punch people. I, I don't know if I've ever seen him punch a person before uh, after being frustrated or angry or what have you. Well, yeah, but he's come a long way, right? He used to be afraid to kill zombies. He didn't want to have anything to do with them, which is why he was traveling with Abraham and Rosita, two badass zombie killers. He's come a long way. So if he can if he can now kill and attack zombies on his own, maybe he's going to punch a guy who's rude to him? Maybe? Maybe, but not without cluing in that there's, that there's something going on here that does not makes sense because the fact that this guy is out here on a date, which he states, why did you interrupt my date with my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously is screaming, something strange is going on here and you should find out what's going on before uh, starting to punch people. And where the fuck is Mercer? Mercer? Is that his name? Yes. Okay. Uh, where the fuck is he? If he's supposed to be the, uh, the guard of this, uh, this fancy boy, uh, he was nowhere to be found. He's obviously doing a really shit piss poor job, which is why when he, it's the only thing that makes sense. He shows up later and says, did you hit him? You know, he's trying to shift the blame because he knows he fucked up. Right. And he's trying to completely, uh, minimize his fuck up and maximize Eugene's fuck up yeah. so that, uh, so that he can get away without, uh, you know, without having to explain himself. All right. Well, I, I actually have more thoughts on this and I want to talk about it more, but there's a scene coming up shortly after a scene with Yumiko here that I think sheds a little bit more light. So let's just go through this Yumiko scene quickly uh, and then get into it again, because she shows up at Milton's office for their meeting. Uh, the woman at the desk outside the office is the ice cream woman that Eugene had uh, a couple episodes asked about, the flavor, Rocky Road, remember? Yep. She offers Yumiko a drink and says to have a seat while she waits. And while she's doing that, Yumiko looks through a coffee, coffee table book about Italian villas. <laughs> you know, a throwback to the old days. Um. Ice cream woman asks her if they're settling in okay, and Yumiko says she hasn't seen her friends in a few days. And, you know, I gotta say, I did feel like the woman at the desk seemed genuinely concerned uh, or, you know, kind of interested in their well-being, but she doesn't really say anything about it. Instead, the phone rings, and then she tells Yumiko that Miss Milton will have to reschedule because someone just attacked her son. Oh, no. So clearly that was Eugene, and just so we don't have to keep saying the fancy guy, his name is Sebastian. Sebastian Of Milton. course it is. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that <laughs> is what it is. I would have accepted Chip. I would have accepted Chad. Uh, even though I know a Chad and you know a Chad and he's a really wonderful guy. Yep. Uh, but I just keep thinking uh, the Chad every time I hear somebody named Chad. Yeah, of course. Uh, or Chet from, uh, uh, what's that movie? I don't know. Uh, well, 
this, this weird guy. science, weird science. Oh, weird sorry. Science. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, this guy's Sebastian and maybe he'll go by Seb. I don't know, but, uh, he is the governor's son. Yeah. So commercial break. And then we come back. Eugene's in a prison cell. Hornby comes in and explains to him that he was supposed to protect the governor's son and become a hero. And he tells him that since you screwed that up, the price for your sort of freedom is higher now. Hornby wants the name and location of Eugene's town. Eugene resists, but asks for a guarantee of safety for his community. And Hornby just says to him, you know, just look around at how well you've been treated at the Commonwealth. That should give you an idea of what we're all about. So here we are. We've got this scene where Hornby uh, sends Eugene and Stephanie over to the location where Sebastian and Kayla are having this date. They are in trouble. Eugene reacts and saves them, but then doesn't kind of like finish the the, the job correctly because he reacts poorly to Sebastian being an asshole. So what I want to know, Jason, is was this whole thing a setup by Hornsby to make Eugene look good in the eyes of the higher ups at the Commonwealth? Was this his plan all along and Eugene just didn't get it? Is that what you were saying before? Uh, I don't know if it's what I was saying, but it all makes perfect sense. And I think it's the only real explanation because this whole area has to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a lake stocked with salmon, uh, regularly. It's the only explanation <laughs> is that they are in control of a zombie horde and that they use them for whatever purposes. And this particular bunch of zombies in this particular area has been part of a plan by Hornby. Right. So Hornby's doing this. He is trying to, this is his way of delivering on getting basically Eugene and everybody out of trouble. Yeah. And so he's doing, and it's the same thing he was saying to Yumiko, right? He, uh, I would like to kiss your ass because I think you're going to be important, uh, an important person. Yeah. And uh, he's doing the same thing with this group when he's in cahoots with uh, uh, Stephanie or Stephanie in quotes. Uh, and they're trying to, they're working on this, fucking plan together they're 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 planning a coup and that's that's the only thing i can think of. so so you're so you think stephanie's in on it is mercer in on it is that why mercer wasn't there to help protect him at that moment that makes sense if you're going to do a coup the head of the military is a pretty good person to uh to head up the coup is there any way that sebastian and kayla were in on it no they're fucking idiots they're fancy boy and fancy girl <laughs> yeah, they're, I- no they're They've, they're unredeemable. I'm going to be the first ones up against the wall and shot. I completely agree with that. I don't think if, if this is a thing, I don't think they're in on it. Now, I don't know. Part of me feels like this is all supposed to be extremely obvious to us as the viewers. But I'm not 100% convinced that any of this was a, a, a setup and that some of it was just kind of a random happenstance. I don't know. But... I'm sort of feeling that less and less as we talk about it. I do, I'm coming around to the idea that this was all a complete setup by Hornsby and Eugene just fucked it up at the end because he reacted poorly to the one thing that Hornsby couldn't control and that's how Sebastian was going to act in this situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. It, uh, Mercer has to be in on it because he took, uh, I refuse to call them Sebastian and uh, Kayla. I remember Kayla. Yeah. Fancy boy and fancy girl. So Mercer took fancy boy and fancy girl out beyond the wire for their date because they decided they wanted to go, go on a date uh, in and amongst a zombie horde that was being riled up by other people. Uh, the only equivalent I have of today is, is somebody saying, you know, I really want to go on a date. Uh, would you, a, a young lady, like to accompany me to the minefield where we could have dinner uh, once we successfully get into the middle of it? I, I don't know. See, he, Sebastian mentions that he has private security. And so I, I got the feeling that they do this all the time. They're like sort of private security takes them out. They get some privacy away from anyone else. Uh, and the security just keeps the area secure for them. And like, maybe this is a thing that happens a lot. So therefore it was easy for Lance to set this up and say, look, Mercer, we're, they're going to do a date. You know, I know you're supposed to keep them safe, but I want you to hang back a bit because I'm going to let Eugene kill all the zombies this time and make him look good or whatever. But then it just, and that played out but then it went off the rails at the end. So I got the feeling that this was a kind of a date thing that they did all the time. And Hornsby was just manipulating the situation and backfired basically. Well, that could very well be, but I have a hard time believing that these people, uh, they know they're in a zombie apocalypse, right? Like I, they know yeah. that it's the end of the world and that going outside the wire has inherent risks and doing so everybody in the upper government uh, has to know that this is a risk and why would they let this shithead go out on a date outside in a dangerous situation? Uh, you know, just because he wants to and he's, uh, you know, he's super fancy and everybody, uh, sorry, when I say the word fancy, uh, what I think of is, uh, I, th I think I heard once that uh, uh, a grandmother was saying, uh, you know, I call somebody fancy, but what I really mean is they're a cop. So, oh, dude, <laughs> dude, I mean, I know we have an explicit rating on this podcast, but there are some things you just, you might have to beep that. But when I use the word fancy, that's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. You know, when I, when I say somebody's fancy, so, and I apologize, you might have to beep that. All right. Or cut this out entirely. No. So, uh, yeah, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> you just explained. I have a, your I have a hard time fancy. believing that. Everybody knows that they're in a zombie apocalypse, and yet they let this fancy boy and fancy girl go outside uh, the main secure compound in order to have a date. It it seems like a bad idea, but I think it I think it shows a level of privilege, even in the zombie apocalypse. Right? We've had hints at this. Daryl saw that mural in the subway tunnel with the people with the crowns and stuff, you know, the, 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 the haves and the have nots and Sebastian and Kayla, the fancy couple are the, the, the offspring of the leaders of this country. At least one of them is not country community. And they are the privileged. They can do whatever they want. They can go out and get it on in a burned out building with zombies all around. If that's what gets their motors running. Right. But not everyone can, I, can do that. Can I assume their brother and sister? <laughs> go ahead and do that. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to, until I'm told otherwise, uh, they're brother and sister. That's weird. Uh, can I ask you a question that I think uh, listeners might have over, over the last few minutes? Sure. You've said a couple times that they are outside the wire. What does that mean? And why aren't you saying outside the walls? Uh, 
I'm not really sure. I think uh, <laughs> outside the wire, it, maybe it comes from Hogan's Heroes, where uh, they're in a, uh, a prisoner of war camp and there's no walls. It's just fence. Uh, and oh, they okay. call it the wire. So the, uh, the razor wire or the barbed wire or outside, uh, outside of the secure area is what I mean. Okay. Fair I'm enough. not sure where I got the term, but, uh, that, that's what I mean is they're outside the secure area. All right. Just wanted to clarify that to make sure no one was confused because I was momentarily confused and I mean, I'm it, not that it smart. It might be a military so. term. I, I don't know. I don't know where I got it. The only thing I can think of is fucking Hogan's Heroes. All right. Well, everyone's smarter than me. So maybe it was just me. Uh, but I have another thought with regards to this whole plan. And is it possible, Jason, that this is all kind of a double two-sided ruse on the part of Hornsby in that, yes, it was all set up and they think, or, you know, Eugene and everybody thinks that he's working with their best interest in mind, but it came down to the fact that Hornby now has asked Eugene for the name and location of of Alexandria. And that's what they wanted to know from them all along from the beginning when they were being interviewed about coming into the Commonwealth. Where is your settlement? So is it possible that Hornsby has got, has done the like double reversal here and this was all a setup to get information out of Eugene, which is what they were originally asking for? I don't think we should discount the possibility of both. Uh, right. you know, maybe it was just a, uh, a single kind of double cross, but then once Eugene got into this situation, uh, where he punched fancy boy on his date with his sister, uh, <laughs> that he is using it to his advantage, uh, in order to get information out of Eugene, which is what he would normally do. Yeah. So maybe it's a, it's a fallback position. So I, I think both. Or Hornsby some kind of mastermind here and he's, yeah, he's, He's playing both sides and he's going to get the information he wants, but also essentially get Eugene and everybody out of trouble. Or the governor thinks that her son and her daughter are complete idiots and uh, wants them killed. So she suggested that they go on a date outside the wire. <laughs> Why don't you guys go and have a nice time out there? <laughs> what could possibly I go wrong? I think it's perfectly fine. I'll send the head of the military to go out and personally escort you out into a zombie horde so that you can uh, make out amongst the sounds of groans yeah well why not whatever gets you going i say yep all right well there's a lot going on there and a lot of questions and uh it's likely this is one thing that i think definitely will be cleared up we will find out what's going on here and the sort of true colors of the commonwealth will be revealed but for now we go back to maggie and negan and the crew and they are now leading a bunch of walkers as whisperers basically toward a building as they get close her maggie and elijah break off and open a door on the building releasing another big load of walkers to join the herd gathering their minions gathering their minions right back to daryl and leah they follow this guy that they found in the bushes into a house he leads them into a hidden room behind the furnace where his wife and son are hiding she is clearly mortally wounded so Leah tells the guy to take his son and run away, and the mom agrees, telling the boy to go with him. After they leave, the woman says she's ready, so Leah raises her shotgun towards the woman, but she can't bring herself to shoot her. She lowers her weapon, and then Daryl raises his crossbow and doesn't hesitate. Yeah, as soon as she lowered her shotgun, my brain went, Daryl's got this. 
Daryl's got this. Yep, he has got this. Uh, Leah says that she'll tell Pope that Daryl killed them because it'll be good for him. It'll sort of make him look good in Pope's eyes. And Daryl turns to her and says, Leah, there's something I need to tell you. But just then the radio comes on and somebody on the other side says they need them back ASAP. So they turn and leave and she doesn't follow up with Daryl. She, you know, I think when someone says, hey, there's something I need to tell you, even if you're interrupted in that conversation, as soon as you have a second, and to be fair, maybe we haven't seen that yet, but as soon as you have a second, you're like, what is it you wanted to tell me? I think maybe you should, since it was so important to you. Yeah. Um, have but have no. you got pus where you shouldn't have pus? That's the kind of thing that you want to talk about. You want to know, if, yeah. You want to know. So if someone says uh, we need to talk about something, it usually involves pus, let's be honest. Well, maybe in your life. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. In my experience. Okay. But it just bothered me, though, that this scene happened and he said that, and then we don't see the result of it. Like, yeah, sure, It's maybe it's coming in another episode, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get one of those scenes where Leah's like, so you were going to tell me something? Um, usually though, in movies, what happens is you get the, I need to tell you something scene, then something happens that makes the information that that character was going to, uh, provide either irrelevant or changes the nature of it in some way. And they no longer want to tell them. Right. But that all usually happens in one coherent scene, not across episodes here. They like did the first half and now the second half is going to come later and it kind of bothers me. Well, never underestimate the human uh, ability, uh, or the human power of denial. Like if you, if someone says we have to talk and you don't want to deal with that situation and you have an excuse not to for a while, you might take it. Okay. It's like, oh shit, my mom called on the phone. I got to have this conversation. Can you hold on a second? I'll be right back. Then you have a four hour conversation with your mom, which is nuts because you know, I personally don't want to have it. I love my mom, but having a four hour yeah. conversation with her is a bit much. I mean, that's more talking to your mom than you've probably done in the last four years. <laughs> no, I talk to her on a regular basis. I mean, it's total but, time, but yeah. Total time. It's a, it's a lot. So, uh, you know, you might take the opportunity to derail the conversation at that point And, uh, if not completely ignore it, because also in my experience, if you have a, uh, have a situation you, that uh, needs to be dealt with, if you ignore it long enough, It'll go away. Sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, the, surprisingly often in okay. my experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, maybe she just doesn't want to deal with whatever uh, Daryl said, and uh, he's going to have to bring it up again later. Okay. Well, fine. That may be true, but I wish we'd seen that too. Like, indicate somehow to us, the audience, that she doesn't want to deal with it right now. But I don't know. It just kind of bothered me. I would have rather had the scene where they talk about it and I guess they couldn't fit it into this episode and it's coming later. But, um, you know, tell me, Jason, what is it he was about to tell her? I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to do with some kind of STD. <laughs> yeah. You know, you remember all those years ago when we were living in that cabin and, uh, having the advanced class, um, yep. yeah, I, I should have told you back then, but I'm ridden with chlamydia. <laughs> yeah. Once again, uh, never underestimate the, uh, the human ability of her, the human need for denial. Sure. Right? It's like, I, yeah, sure. I should have talked to you about that. I mean, uh, syphilis would be bad and if it goes untreated for a decade or so, you got some severe problems cause that shit don't go away. No, no. You no. Know? <laughs> so, I mean, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, 
but uh, the clap is forever. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Well, we'll have to follow up on this later. Uh, we don't know what's it, it, the whole the scene bugged me a little bit, though, because I was I was ready for him to reveal himself to her. Right. And be like, either I'm with these people and I think you should join us, abandon Pope, whatever, whatever he was going to say, I was ready to hear it. And then they kind of just cut away. And what we cut to is Maggie leading this walker herd. And as they're walking down the road, Elijah looks around and he sees another walker in the crowd that causes him to get very emotional. So I assume that's his sister, right? Because earlier on it was his sister's best friend. Well, now it's his sister. Maggie realizes who it is and that Elijah is getting emotional. So she slowly moves beside him and takes his hand, which was very nice of her. Um, and then the camera pans up and we sort of see more of the group and it looks like they've got a pretty big herd of zombies heading towards the Reapers. So their whole plan is to lead this herd to the Reapers and use them to overrun the place and, uh, take it back, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you know, hopefully the Reaper Reapers haven't, uh, previously encountered the whispers that don't know how to deal with this situation. Don't know how to deal with it. Exactly. That, that, uh, that would, that'll be important for sure. But you know what the shot reminded me of a little bit, Jason? Uh, no. The, the overhead shot, I mean, of the big crowd. Mm -hmm. Do you remember on Michonne's last episode where she right at the end looks out over this, into this valley and there's a huge group of people moving like in formation. Now yep. they were definitely in a formation and these zombies were just scattered about, but for some reason it reminded me of that, like a Slightly, I mean, Michonne's shot was way more distant, but just a big group of people all moving at once for some reason. And I started thinking, what if that group of people Michonne was following was actually a giant herd of walkers or whisperers or something like that? But I think <laughs> they were in a tight enough formation that they, that would be impossible, but it came to yeah, mind. No, it was, I don't know why. it was people. It was a migration of persons. Yes. A migration of the living humans. Uh, and that's it. That is the end of the episode. So I think, you know, this one, despite that amazing, amazing scene between Maggie and Negan that shocked me so much, uh, I think overall this episode was a little on the meh scale for me, you know? It, it moved the plot forward a bit, but it kind of just uh, transitioned between things in a way I felt. Um, that, that's okay. There's nothing wrong I, with that. I guess so. Yeah. It just it, nothing blew me away except for that one scene, but nothing really disappointed me much either. Um, the show has been doing a lot lately to raise questions. And sometimes those questions are, huh? Like, does that make sense? <laughs> um, yeah. The important I, questions in life. Yeah, yeah, what? exactly. What? And I think... I think you feel that too, but none of it is like really terrible. And, uh, it's just, none of it mostly is not spectacular either. This episode, True. I kind of felt like that anyways. I would agree with that. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. So I would love to hear what everybody else thinks of it. So, um, of course, send in your feedback, thoughts, and comments that we will do on our feedback show later this week. Uh, because if there are answers to questions we have, I would love to hear them. Even theories. Whatever you think you've got, send it in um, and we'll uh, address it all on the feedback show. 
yeah, we need help sometimes understanding things. Uh, Very so much. So that's, that's what the listeners are fantastic for and why we love you so much yep. is that you help us to understand things that are not clear to us because we're idiots. It's a, or at sim- least I am. You're, you know, you're a pretty smart guy, but mm. I don't know what's going on half the time. It's, it really is as simple as that. We're morons. All right. That is episode uh, seven of, of season 11 of The Walking Dead. There's just one more next week. But of course, we do have our feedback show before then. And then it's on to the mid-season finale. And of course, because this is an episode recap show, we have to talk about our uh, season-long contest of giveaways. So... First of all, I would like to send out some thank yous to new patrons who have signed up at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That would be Teresa S, John R, Elizabeth R, Matthew S, and Michelle W. Thank you to all of you for becoming patrons over on uh, patreon.com. And in fact, this week we had a couple of people send a contribution via via PayPal as well, which is still technically a thing. So you can do that by going to our website and uh, clicking on one of the PayPal links there to do that. And I just want to say thanks to Trish in Boston, longtime listener for doing that. Matthew W., uh, who also sent something by PayPal, and a, a listener who contributed via PayPal a while ago, and I just missed it. So I apologize to John Z., who sent a PayPal contribution back in August and uh, I forgot to mention it. So thank you to all of you for helping out with the uh, podcast. And now it is time to talk about the winner of our episode seven prize. And this week's prize is a Walking Dead post-apocalyptic survival tool. So uh-huh. it's not a multi-tool. It's not like one of those exact um, like wrench style multi-tools or pliers style multi-tools, but it's one of those flat card type ones that has like I a bottle those. opener and a, yeah. a few other tools built into it. So it's one of those um, in addition to a pack of Walking Dead stickers and, nice. ma- and maybe a magnet. So um, neat little prize. Uh, and now is the time everyone's favorite time of the episode when Jason tells us who wins this week's prize. So take it away, Mr. Miles. So this week I decided to use something that has been uh, aggravating me and what I used to be so excited about and I'm annoyed with and uh, frustrated with. So I decided to add a little more excitement back into my life. Oh, great. So uh, as as you know, Chris, and may some of the, some of the listeners may know, uh, I enjoy my Tim Hortons. And one of my favorite times of the year is roll up the rim to win. Ah, yes. Uh, at Tim Hortons. And it was one of my favorite times of the year. Now, first of all, it's not the time of year for roll up the rim. That's friggin' March to May. Uh, it is now uh, October, but Tim Hortons has, Tim Hortons being a coffee shop uh, chain in Canada. I don't know if I need to explain that, but uh, so the roll up the rim thing, uh, they're having it this time of year, which is crazy. Uh, and it confused me. Uh, but also it's not roll up the rim anymore. It's like use the app and, uh, potentially be a winner by using the app. And I absolutely refuse to use the app because, uh, they track what I don't want anybody tracking what I drink from Tim Hortons, even if it's anonymous and not, uh, you know, specifically tied to me, the person, uh, me, this particular app user, drinks this much coffee. And <laughs> yeah. I don't need anybody to know that. 
Okay. I don't even want Tim Hortons to use that information. <laughs> so what I've done over the last week is I've collected all the coffees that I've had, uh, I've gotten from Tim Hortons that have had roll up the rim cups on them, uh-huh. which, uh, you know, comes out to about a couple of hundred. So, of course. Uh, and what I got my wife to do was to roll up each of the rims and write the name of one of the people on there, uh, so that I could in this very moment, pick a cup at random, roll up the win, roll up the rim and that person wins. Ooh. You see how this is nice? I do. I feel like this is extremely confusing for anyone who doesn't know anything about Tim Hortons, but we'll let it pass. Those who do probably understand it perfectly. Okay. Coffee cups have a lip. Yes. They're usually rolled over. They have a contest every year where you're supposed to or used to roll up the rim and then under there you would say you'd either win a donut or a coffee or a car or a bike or, you know, 50 friggin' dollars or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm going to pick up one of my random cups. I got my cup here. All right. So I'm going to take the lid off. All right. And I'm going to unroll. Oh, I miss rolling stuff up now. It's a friggin' app. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Rolling it up. Okay. And the winner is Randall L. Amazing. So Randall L, congratulations on winning Roll Up the Rim this year. Finally. Uh, this, this podcast is not brought to you by Tim Hortons. Uh, but Randall L, you are the winner of the episode seven prize, which as I said, is a walking dead apocalyptic survival tool and a pack of stickers. So I will reach out by email to you and let you know and talk about, you know, an address where to ship this sucker to. So once again, congratulations, Randall L, uh, you are this week's winner. And just a reminder that all our winners are pulled from our active patrons at patreon.com slash the talking dead. You can join any time and be included in uh, a future week's draw from whatever container Jason chooses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there you go. Um, And I do just want to mention that I have now sent out all the first six. So I'm all caught up. Uh, at this point Um, I did hear from the first two people that their packages arrived I do hope three and four have gotten there five and six just went out yesterday so they're probably not there yet unless Um, they work at the post office in your your neighborhood I mean if they work there be like hey this is for me this is for me can they do that or does does, do they still have to deliver it I don't know you're gonna have to I found a letter that's for me you go to your supervisor and go this this is for me can I just take this? Or you have to like, no, 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 we have to deliver it. Cause if we don't deliver it, it's not tracked. And then it goes into the, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, issues. I mean, it's a anyway. very, very interesting question that, that, uh, you'd have to ask a mail carrier or somebody to tell you, I don't know. I will. I'm going to ask the guy and there's uh, the, our mail carrier that uh, comes by every day. Uh-huh. I say hi to him sometimes. Sure. Uh, I'm going to ask him. All right, good. Uh, report back. I'd like to know. Surely. Uh, anyways, let me know when it arrives. I do hope uh, three and four have gotten there. Five and six are on the way, and I'll be reaching out to number seven, which is Randall L. Shortly. All right, that is it for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. By all means, get in touch with us. Go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail at the top of the page to record a message for us. You can also record it in the Voice Memo app on your phone and email it to us. That is a great way to do it as well. 
And um, just a reminder to sort of keep it short-ish. I sometimes edit them down. Don't, uh, you know, don't say or don't not say what you want to say, but uh, if you can keep it succinct, that would be great. And let us know where you are too. We always love to know where people are around the world and they are listening. Um, that is how to record a message for us. If you want to just send an email, that is great too. That is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And of course you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. All right, that is going to do it for this weird Tuesday edition of the podcast. Uh, until next time, everyone. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.